Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes. Please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because uh, it makes me happy. gives me a reason to wake up tomorrow. Today's guest on Radio Rehab is Andi Temener. She is an amazing director, an applauded director, as well she should be, because she just released a movie called Coming Clean. And being a heroin addict, I can just tell you, it's one of the greatest films I've seen about the opioid crisis, mainly about addiction, because she doesn't deal just with the opioid crisis, she deals with actual addicts. And that is a cause close to my heart, as you know, because I am one. I'm so excited to have this conversation with her because I think she did a great job on this movie. It was beautiful to watch, as well as very sad for me, and it brought up a lot of stuff. It's going to bring up stuff if you're an addict or the family member of an addict. It's going to happen. That's okay. Watch this movie. You're going to learn a lot, and it's beautiful to watch. Please enjoy my interview with Andy Temener. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Andy, thank you so much for being on Radio Rehab. I wanted to tell you the reason I do this show is because I'm a recovering heroin addict. That is my drug of choice. Um, I have four years and 11 months clean right now, and it took me 20 years to get here. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I've been in 15 rehabs. I've been trying to live my whole life, but I always have gone back out and I've always relapsed. And it's so hard for me. And it's just amazing how hard it is for people to talk about this when now it's so common. Now everyone's an opioid addict, you know, like it, why is it so hard for people to talk about? And how did you find a way to talk about it? What, what made it easy for you? You know, first of all, I'm floored by your openness and candor. Um, there's a lot of shame around this topic. And I think the stigma has been the number one problem with getting people the help that they need. You know, everyone thinks of heroin addicts as dirty losers, frankly. And they don't realize that 80% of heroin addicts are people that started with prescription drugs. Um, who might have fallen and hurt their back. And then the drugs were overprescribed usually. And then we're treating something that was an underlying emotional condition because our, you know, our country doesn't handle mental health with any kind of sensitivity or empathy. Really all health is left for, you know, fend for yourself in this country. So, you know, certainly mental health is just not appreciated. And it's, I think that's starting to change now. Um, and I think COVID is accelerating that change, uh, but COVID is also accelerating the amount of opioid addicts um, and overdoses and causing people to overdose at a rate that is 50% higher than before COVID, um, which it already was, you know, something like 70,000 deaths a year. So we're looking at over 100,000. This year, the isolation is no good um, for people. Uh, and as one of my subjects, Destiny Garcia, pointed out, um, liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries are essential services, but um, 
you know, treatment isn't. So yeah, as usual, our, our country is upside down and, you know, in pretty key ways. So, but yeah, I think that the film's, the aim of the film is to reduce the stigma and to show uh, various people who are coming out of this somehow or helping others to come out of it through connecting and also through radical transparency and honesty and um, and just like owning it like you just did, you know? So uh, the, the people that are in this film, I just absolutely love and respect so, so much. And um, I think it has that ability because it's a beautiful film. It has so much animation and, you know, we went for a really beautiful landscape and soundscape for the film, almost wall to wall score and songs because it's a hard subject and really we need to be carried through it and our hearts just need to be opened. Um, so, and then there's a lot of hard hitting information in the film too, that I think helps us to understand that this is not a choice. This is a disease. So. I know. Yeah. I always, I always say that to, to people when they're asking me about it, like it's not a moral, it's not a moral choice. It's, it's a disease that I have. Correct. And it's always been trying to, you know, mentally correct myself. It's, it's always been, I've been depressed and I've been trying to fix my brain for a long time because I didn't know about, you know, psychiatric help or anything like that. Or maybe I just didn't want to try it when I was young. In my first rehab, I was like 16. You know, I felt like addiction was for old people. Why did you, um, yeah, you thought treatment was for old people, like when you've given up, right? Right, like right. Why no, I am that guy. <laughs> why, why do you think you turned to uh, heroin in the first place? Well, unlike a lot of people, um, I, the, for, I didn't start with prescription painkillers. I was a teenager and I was on way too much coke one night. And it wasn't the stigma of heroin because there was no spoon, there was no needles, they weren't smoking it, they were snorting it. So it looked like cocaine, which is so harmless, you know, when you're a teenager, when you're out of your mind. And I did it. And the minute I did it, my life was over. I, the minute I did it, I was like, now I can do life. This is what I need to do life. This is what my brain is missing. This is what my heart is missing. I have to have this. And it took me down. In your movie, I liked, I liked hearing about the, uh, the history of the needle because I know I have found it a woman. I didn't know that a woman invented the syringe. And I'm like, I didn't know whether to high five her or slap her. Because I mean, yeah, my, my arms are, you know, I, I show all the signs. Like people who know about addiction can see my arms and they know that I'm in recovery because I'm obviously not high and I've definitely got the marks. Um, can I see your arm? Yeah, the little white things, yeah. That, and then that was yeah, like where my drug was. That's where you had to do it because you ran I, out of veins. Exactly. You know, when you're a 22-year-old girl and you're injecting close to your face, that shows how much you just don't care. Yeah. And like little white spots in my arm. It's like, I remember when I was on the streets and they were like, do this, this, you know, what's going around right now has botulism in it. You can, don't do it. It's poison. It'll eat through your skin. And I just remember going, I don't want to live to be 30 anyway. Who cares? And doing it anyway. I remember that. I actually remember a couple of people that I know had a, had a, like a flesh eating bacteria Yeah. in San Francisco where you are. Yeah. That's where it was. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. So that must have been what, oh my God. I was so naive. I didn't realize that it was associated with needles. I just thought people were getting this flesh eating bacteria, but it was coming. Oh, yeah. It's coming from the needles. Like, I mean, if you missed it all, it just would just get infected right away. It was, it was awful. And so shameful also to have to go to the hospital because they know. 
you know, as, as much as I tried to make up some, you know, cause I went to theater school. I thought I was really good at acting. I was like, oh, I got sepsis or something. And they were like, uh-huh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's so obvious what it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. You must have related to Jen Ramsden in the film. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. As, well, I mean, I really related to everyone in the film. And it's like, if I didn't relate to them, I know them. I know them in my life, you know? Like, if they're not me, they're somebody I know. So I, I, my love for the people in the movie, like, I got a box of Kleenex next to me. I was like, oh, God. I wanted to hug them, you know? Like, because yeah. I know. I know that pain, you know, and, and especially the one girl, I can't remember her name, when she's on the phone talking about how she's about to go to treatment, her mom's like, yeah, so what do you want? You know what I mean? Sure. You know, all the kids are going in again. And I just remember, I think it was my fifth rehab. My mom was dropping me off. And, you know, I was hugging her and I was wanting her to be proud of me for doing this. And she said the last words out of her mouth were, I'm afraid to hope. And that was like a knife in my heart, you know? And I created that. I did that. I did that to her. So, yeah, I mean, it was really... Just real, I related to all of those characters. What do you think, like, this is turning into me interviewing you, but um, what do you think turned you uh, towards recovery finally? Like, what was the final straw that made you get sober now for 11, 11 months, you said? Four years and 11 months. Four years. Yeah, yeah, I'll have five years in September. God oh, willing, we're supposed God. to say that. <laughs> we're not allowed to say five years before it happens, but September 17th, I'll have five years. You just broke the rule three times. I know. <laughs> I totally did. But I want the five years. So I love rule breakers. I'm totally down with that. Uh, um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. What, what, what made you just turn the corner? I couldn't die. I wanted to die so badly. And my tolerance was so high. I mean, I used to envy people who would overdose easily you know, when they brought the fentanyl in. And, and it's like, I couldn't. And I tried so hard. And it was a, such a struggle just to be able to not be sick. And I was like, I can't, you know what? I guess it's not up to me when I die. And I'll give this a try again. My dad was in recovery. He was also a heroin addict. He got clean and sober when I was 10 and a half years old. And um, there was the last time when I was out on the streets, like I had called him to pick me up. And I, cause I always knew there was another way. I just, when you're, when you're in the disease, the, my disease is louder than me and it talks to me in my own voice and it can talk me into and out of anything. And it was just, it's so hard to go back into the rooms when you've relapsed, you know, even though when speaking for myself being in the rooms right now, we welcome, we we're just rooting for those people. But like when you're out there, it's like, they hate me. They think I'm a piece of shit, you know, like I, I'm a loser. You're like, you have so much shame. So much shame. You can't recover from a place of shame. That was something I really wanted to, to relate. There were so many things I wanted to impart in this film uh, that I learned that I thought were really important. You know, I was never a heroin addict, um, but I, I understand, you know, the, I understand, I guess, the landscape of it because from my movie Dig on, I was filming with heroin addicts or ex-heroin addicts. Um, and, uh, and I understand that, you know, just on a basic level, we humans, we can't, we can't begin to build ourselves up again if we feel like we're not worth anything, you know? And it's really, it's really about pouring all of your dark stuff on the table and saying, blah, here's who I am. 
And then having everyone in that room, which, you know, it's, these rooms are now on Zoom and that's not okay. Like, it's not. I know. It goes against everything we've been told. Yeah. And so then, but then everyone says, but I, I love you anyway, and you're going to be okay. And I, I'm the same as you. And, I, you know, it's just taking that distance and, and closing that gap that needs to happen for people to recover. And, um, and, and so treatment, just there has to be a lot more availability for treatment and uh, Medicare coverage of treatment. And, you know, and I just, that's why in the film, I also really wanted you to know where it all comes from how it all began to happen, how was this great crime perpetrated on all of us, you know, and how do we get out of it now? And, yeah. uh, and seeing these policymakers and, a, you know, that kick-ass attorney in the film go after all of the solutions, I think, hand in hand with the people that are recovering is what makes this film Coming Clean unique, you know? It's like, it's really, I've seen all the other, that's why I took it on because I was like, I've seen these other films about heroin or opioids or whatever. And, you know, here it is, the deadliest drug epidemic in our history. And no one is actually approaching it from a solution standpoint. And with people who you can have hope for, you know, like, yeah. it's just how, you know, how can you even recover if you don't have any model of recovery? It's like, Exactly. Addicts on the street don't know there's a better life. You know what I mean? It doesn't help to arrest them and put them in jail. When they get out of jail, they're going to go back to that. They're going to still be on the same corner. Like there needs to be free treatment. Yeah. And also <laughs> looking at Switzerland and like safe injection sites. You know? Right. I mean, that's, that's pushing it in this country, which, you know, we just need to get some other things going. But um, you know, Sean Baker, filmmaker Sean Baker has been working on something about that, I believe. Um, you know, I happen to know that because I know him for a few years now up in Vancouver. So, you know, I mean, I think there's people focusing on, you know, really forward thinking. I know Brittany Pedersen, one of the things that she was trying to do with all that package of bills in Denver, um, you know, that Colorado is now leading the nation in terms of opioid legislation and programs um but the one bill that didn't pass was safe injection facilities right yeah i can see that being too much for some people i mean even san francisco a little bit but i also loved her mother's story you know i mean i that was just so beautiful her connection with her mother and how that made her want to talk about it and want to do something about it because there were so many times i'd be on the streets and and somebody there'd be kids from like mill valley or beverly hills buying heroin and there were i would talk to them because like i felt like i ran the streets back then i was like what are you doing here and they all without with always their oxys ran out their oxys ran out they don't know where to buy oxys on the street so F it, I'm going to do heroin. Like, I, I, if I got started, I could, I mean, I would be so angry if that's the way I got started. I would be so mad at all the doctors. My dad even had a doctor that overprescribed him. It's just. That's how your dad got addicted. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I mean, it was back in like the eight, my dad was a musician and they can get anything they want. So it was basically like he had doctors that would give him any pill in the world and, and like 300 of them with 30 refills. Look at Prince. Exactly. Exactly. Pepe, you know? Yep. So many more we don't know about. I know. That's another statistic that's shocking in the film is like 80% of opioid addicts are holding down a job. You know, absolutely. You would have no idea. It's your doctor. It's your lawyer. It's your... You know, it's your local hero. It does, you know, and they're on opioids. 
And, um, you know, I believe that I've employed people that are opioid addicts having no idea that they were suffering. You know, I'm pretty right. sure. I'm pretty sure because they've come out of the woodwork since they've seen my movie um, and said, you know, you have no idea how close this is to my heart. And that's their way of saying it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not everyone just wants to come out and say it. And I, and I can understand that because there is so much shame. Like, there's just so much shame surrounding this. And it, it's sad. That and mental health, too. There's shame, there's shame around mental health. Like, I'm, I've always been, and you know, now I'm on, um, I take Prozac. And, um, it's, you know, cause when I had 18 months clean and sober, I got really depressed and I wanted to use, and instead of using this time, I went to a therapist and I worked my shit out. You know, I had already done all the steps. I, you know, I was working a program and nothing was working. And that's because I have a chemical imbalance and it was shameful to me to even raise my hand in a meeting and say that, Hey, I, I'm getting outside help, you know, just so yeah. much. Pain. Yeah. And it's like, look, we all need help. We help each other in, an, in all sorts of ways. Why is it not okay to help our brains, you know, function? Right. We're not turning to, to drugs that are completely debilitating, you know? But exactly. something triggered in you when you were, you know, a teenager and you're like, this is what I need. And I've heard that from so many people. There's something about, and it's just like the reason, you know, I'm one of these kids who tried everything, uh, you know, I am so open-minded and, and such a just on this life journey for all that I can have, you know, taste. But heroin, it was the one thing that I was like, it seems like it's killing everybody. <laughs> like, it was like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison. Like it was like, cause I was just, you know, a music fan too growing up and I was just, and a musician. And I was like, I don't know. It seems like this one drug takes down even geniuses, you know? Right. Maybe I should just, do that when I get like diagnosed with a, you know, if ever, God forbid, uh, you know, some kind of terminal illness, that'll be when I try heroin. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what my dad always said. He said, if I found out the world was ending tomorrow, I would get a pile of cocaine and a pile of heroin and a bottle of Jack Daniels. But that ended up not, not being the case. He, my dad passed away uh, a few years ago and that ended up not being the case. He wanted to pass clean. Like uh, he want, he didn't want, he goes, I don't want to come back and have to deal with this shit again. <laughs> and that's kind of how, how he looked awesome at it. How yeah. awesome is that? And you do meditation and other mindful practices or anything like that to stay sober? It's so funny that you just asked about meditation because you got to work with my idol, Russell Brand. Yeah. And I know he's all into meditation and meditation is the hardest thing in the world for me. And I'm trying so hard and like, I don't, I'm just not good at meditating. I don't know what to do. I want to try something. All right. So, so Russell asked me to make this movie. He had been trying to make this movie with a bunch of different people. Um, really big names like Oliver Stone and Al Mazel's. Uh, made, you know, the list was long of people that had tried to make this movie with Russell. And they called me the Ondinator because they, you know, when I took it on, I was like, okay, we're shooting a new movie. We're making this movie about your life journey. Uh -huh. um, sex, drugs, fame you've gone headlong into all of these and come up empty. Um, and then you realized you had to reach within. And that journey, and then also go for causes that are bigger than yourself. Um, and he was working that out with that Messiah Complex show at the time. Yeah, um, I saw that. And yeah, it was just amazing. He would meditate on his way to these shows and we'd go on tour, we'd be on tour and he would meditate in the van. And I, the whole time never meditated. And then I kind of hit rock bottom for a number of reasons, like a couple of years ago. 
And I was in the middle of shooting this movie that we're talking about coming clean. And I had to go out on a tour to a bunch of opioid clinics and uh, like treatment centers across America. And I was really not, not feeling great. And I thought I have got to do something. And I just made an emergency house call. Someone had offered me a meditation class a long time ago at my house. The night before I left, I got a meditation class. And then I started meditating like religiously. And I have to tell you, Dana, like there is not a, it is not, it is not something that you, you think, okay, I did, I did well. Like we, you realize, I've realized how much I measure, and we all do, whether we're good or bad, whether we've done well or not. Meditation is not, it's not something that your mind just quiets down. Maybe, maybe it will for me like seven years from now or something, but I'm in your boat. You know, I just sit there and a bunch of different things come into my head and you're not supposed to bat them away or, you know, you have to be gentle with yourself. And, um, and it's more about noticing just how active your mind is. It's just about noticing. Once you notice that, then you eventually can like notice the space in between the thoughts. And then you can like get to those places in your actual life. That's the key. When you feel the anger mounting or the, the you know, upset of some, about something or depression or whatever it is to kind of like do the space that Prozac, for example, gives you. Like I remember when my mom, you know, my, my father had a massive stroke when I was 10 and my mom went from jet setting to caretaking and they had, uh, you know, they have a great love, but it's, it's been a rough ride in a lot of ways. She went on Prozac many years ago and she would describe it as it puts space between you and the problems or you and that feeling. So you can go, okay, I am not that feeling. It's kind of the same thing with meditation, you know? I that's asked, a good like, explanation. Yeah, I think that's kind of, yeah, it's important that you don't think, oh, I'm not good at it and just keep doing it. It's a practice like anything else, you know? Is it TM? No, I'm not doing TM. I just use Shine, which is just a basic, you know, sit there and breathe and notice your breath. And right. um, they say to keep your eyes open um, and focus on some, some place in front of you. But I also just, I allow myself to close my eyes if I need to, you know, mm-hmm. to go inside for a while and then open my eyes partway through. Like so much of my life, I've realized it. I, I, I was one of the scientists I'm, I'm uh, working with who's in the new movie, uh, which I'm calling now control option escape about love and connection. She studies oxytocin and trauma as it passes through generations. And she's incredible. And she calls herself type type A in recovery. And uh, I'd say like, that's kind of what I am. You know, it's like, I just notice how much I kind of go, oh, oh, I didn't meditate today. Like, bad. you know what I mean? Like, you just, <laughs> so I just try to like, break the rules right i'll stay yeah. on the rules yeah the thing that really stuff that you because you asked me earlier like what do i do for for like my program and the thing the only thing i found that like that helps me is working with other people it's like the only thing that gets me out of myself and it almost feels like i meditated you know every time i work with a sponsee every time i go through the steps with somebody and they're shaking and crying and so embarrassed to tell me something and i get to say i did that too exactly You're not alone like exactly. that's what that's my magic that's what keeps me clean i think that is very very common uh that that people in recovery by helping other people stay clean because yeah. it gives you purpose 
you're actually, and you have to lead by example. You mm-hmm. can't be sitting there preaching to somebody that, you know, they can do it and then go shoot up, shoot up in the corner, you know? So exactly. It keeps you straight. And, um, and yeah, I think that's, that's a really important one. Another one, you know, when we say about meditation is really helpful. Uh, but another one is just kind of like the reason why meditation is really helpful also is just, just to, just to literally take 15 minutes of quiet even if it's like writing, writing in your journal or writing, just reflecting on your own behavior through the day, your own feelings through the day, how you've treated those you're in relationship with, how you've treated yourself, you know, who you are in relationship with, like being conscious of all of that just allows us to kind of make more conscious decisions, you know, which yeah. um, as Destiny Garcia says in the film, I'm going to quote her again, but um you know, you build the life that you can't afford to destroy. You know, yeah, you- a therapist, yeah, a therapist told me that when I was 20. It was just, it was just so hard to do when you start when you're young, because it's like, instead of having all this baggage you need to get rid of when you're older, when you're young, you don't even have anything in your bag. You know, like I had nothing. It's like, oh, now I'm back in life and I'm clean, but what am I, what am I gonna do? Like it's, it, that's, I feel like that's why it's really hard for young people in recovery. And that's why I try to work with a lot of young, young kids because I know that feeling. Interesting. That's, that is a really interesting concept. Um, you just put something, you just put a bowling ball in your bag. Yeah. You take up a heroin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously. Three bowling balls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a Casper mattress. <laughs> Hey, uh, I wanted to mention that we're, we're, we have a huge Q&A happening this Friday. We're doing a Q&A with everyone in the film for Sidewalk Film Festival on Friday. Oh, yeah, I want to go. Or we'll yeah. virtually go. <laughs> yeah, on Facebook Live and uh, like on their whatever channel. Um, I wanted to make sure we had one. It's actually going to be moderated by the CEO and president of the Truth Initiative. You know, you saw that part about truth reducing smoking and youth so much and uh, yes. effectively and now they're they're hitting the opioid epidemic really hard so i thought uh she would be a great person to moderate and everyone everyone from the film that you you know want to hear from is going to be there so oh i can't wait for that it's friday at, at i guess we're pacific so it's 12 o'clock pacific 3 p.m eastern okay cool well i'm getting the wrap-up signal from producer Shar, but i really it's important that i tell you thank you for making this movie beautiful to watch you know because it's a harrowing subject and you made it beautiful to watch and it was informative, even for somebody who's been in 15 rehabs and thinks they know everything. You know, I learned a whole bunch by watching it and learning about big pharma and, and you know, how the opioid epidemic got to where it is right now was just really mind opening to me. But like I said, it was also, it was pretty to watch, you know, like I, I like looking at pretty things. It was a beautiful movie. I loved everything about it. Thank you. So, thank you. Thank you so much for making it and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being so honest and uh, you're such a great host. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And congratulations on your sobriety. Thank you so much. It's no easy feat. So. Oh my, no, it took 20 years, like I said, to get five, so. But now life is better than ever, huh? Yes, it is. Except oh, yeah. in a quarantine. Huh? Yeah. Well, apart from COVID, last year life was better than it ever been. Now it's a little like it's difficult, but yeah. But there's uh, an awakening happening in America. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes yeah. it's falling pretty hard to wake up. So. Exactly. Yeah. Some people are thriving because they're just working on themselves because now they have the opportunity to do it. And uh, I have to try to remember that. So 
screeched to a, to a halt for a little while there. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. For like a month and a half, I was completely depressed until I realized, oh, my God, I can go to a meeting in New Zealand right now. Yeah. You're like, wait, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> that thing. I'm like, I can use it for something other than wasting my time and looking at cat videos. Yeah. Actually, my TED Talk's about that. <laughs> literally that's what my dad talks about that's so funny it's called when genius and insanity hold hands you should check it out oh my god i'm totally gonna check that out yeah and, uh, awesome i just want to mention the website's comingcleanmovie.com if people want to follow the film we're going to be playing a lot of regional festivals coming up um and uh and just you know all the information's there comingcleanmovie.com thanks so much to andy for not just being a great director and a movie maker, but for being a champion of our cause. That seriously means the world to me. Uh, when I first wanted to do this interview, I could have sworn she was one of us. I could have sworn she was a recovering addict because I watched her movie and she was so amazing. Everything she did was amazing. And to find out that she wasn't, she just cares. Like it was, it was really, I'm trying not to cry right now. It was. This was really intense for me, and this was very important. Go to comingcleanmovie.com to find out more about the movie. Also, the Sidewalk Film Festival, Facebook Live, 12 p.m. Pacific time on Friday. So that's 3 p.m. East Coast time. Not that you need me to tell you that, but hey, <laughs> there you go. You want to watch this because there is a question and answer session with everyone from the movie, and it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to be there. So please join me. And this was so great. I was, I'm so happy to have talked to her. All of the information I just gave you will be in our show notes. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us. The email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's go-to productions.com. You can also call or text 415-496-9511, even when we're not in studio. And on all the socials, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, D-A-Y-N-A. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back. Mm -hmm.